All right, listen, I'm the preacher. Believe what I said, not what Karen said. Don't look at me. Go on. You got your children's shirts. Get on out of here. All right, so here's another truth now that she's out of the room. Go, go. So listen, if you guys are ever driving by and you're like, why is Jim just hosing down the cars while Karen is doing the hard work of scrubbing? It's because I've scrubbed before and I always apparently miss a spot. And... And so it's not that I don't want to do the hard work. She won't let me do the hard work because I'm not good enough to get all the things. And so, so just if you ever see that, it's not that I'm not willing to do that. I apparently don't do a good job. And so, all right, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Grab your Bibles and look in there together. So last week we were in, uh, in the previous section and, and we were talking about, uh, Two weeks ago, well, well, three weeks ago, we were talking about how uh, we need to recognize we're sinners. Uh, last week, we were talking about how faith brings salvation. And we got into the reality of the fact that uh, through Jesus Christ, God is both just in the sense of bringing justice, and He's the justifier in the sense of being the one who makes us right. We talked about how, uh, how faith brings salvation into our, into our lives. So in Romans chapter 5, what we want to look at this morning is we want to talk about uh, where that, that now that we've, if we've received that, that salvation by faith, once we've received that, um, where does that place us? Like, what's the spot that we are in having received that salvation? Now, as you notice, and this is something I've been saying throughout this, um, you see the passage this morning is Romans chapter uh, 5, verses 1 through 21. And so I'm not going to read the whole chapter right now because we're going to be going through almost the whole chapter as we go down through. So uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to hit a bunch of verses as we as we go down through here, because just like last week, we want to get the flow of Paul's argument and what he's saying as far as this is how um, this is how salvation works. And so having set up the reality that we receive salvation by faith, now he's going to explain to us where are we at after that. So if you have your sermon outline this morning, if you're visiting this morning, there's a sermon outline in your bulletin. You're welcome to to follow along with us. So where does this salvation place me? And the answer is, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. So as you look at Romans chapter 5, um, he starts there in, in verse 5, or I'm sorry, in verse 1 with therefore. Now that's important, of course, because he's saying, okay, everything I just told you about faith bringing salvation. Now, therefore, this is what this is what's happening going forward. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that's what we talked about last week, we are made right with God through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Let's pause there for a second. So the idea is, and not everybody believes in this, but this is what Christianity teaches us, is that before we received faith, we did not have peace with God. There was a disconnect between where God was at and what He required of us and where we were. And we were not on the same page as God. We were separated from Him. As we receive justification by faith, as we, as we receive what Jesus has done for us, He says, uh, having received that, we have peace with God. What's that mean? It means that we have been connected with God now. We have been made to where I have a relationship with God. I can stand before you today, not because of anything I've done in terms of trying to be a good person or, or going to seminary or anything like that. I can stand before you today and say that I know that God is my Father 
and that He loves me and that He is working in my life, that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's not through what I've done, it's through what He has done. And so I have that peace. I no longer have to look at God as somebody who's angry at me and is out to get me or somebody who's distant and doesn't care about me. I have peace with God. How did it come? What's it say there? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it comes through what Jesus has done for us. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith. That's what we said last week. It happened, the thing I brought to the table was that it happened by faith. I've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We want to get down to that in just a second. But as we think about that idea of peace with God, it reminds me of a, of a story I read years ago. There was a fellow who played um, uh, football for uh, the University of Texas decades ago. His name was Noble Doss. And he tells a story of there was a, a season where the uh, University of Texas was on track to, to be in the national championship. Um, they were playing one of their rivals. It was a very low-scoring game. He got loose down the field. He was wide open. There was nothing between him and the end zone. There were no defenders there. It was 20 yards of green. All he had to do was catch the pass. The pass was on target. And he dropped it. They went on to lose the game, which meant they lost their chance to go to the national championship. Um, Noble Doss went on to have a great life. Like so many good things uh, happened in his life. But decades later, when he was talking about that dropped pass, he still had tears in his eyes. Because even though that had happened so long ago, it was still something that he couldn't get over. It was still something that tormented him. And when we look at what verse 1 says there, that we have peace with God, you know, maybe nobody else knows, maybe everybody knows what your, what your sin is, what your problem is. Maybe it's just something that, that is within your heart. Maybe it's something that the whole town knows because it was a public thing. But there are so many of us that have situations where either within our hearts or outwardly, there's something that we look at and we have just regret after regret after regret. And we look back on that even years later and it just, it tears us up that we did that, that that happened in our lives. And because of that, we don't feel like we can be made right with God. We don't feel like we can get peace. There's still tears that bother us all those years later. And the reality is what this is teaching us today is that there is no sin that God can't forgive. And that we can have peace with God through that justification by faith, through what He's doing in our lives. But we, ha we don't have to continue to live in those regrets. We don't have to continue to live in that sense of, of it can never get better. But instead, we can receive that forgiveness that we were talking about in the children's sermon. We can receive that cleansing. We can receive that peace with God if we only receive what Christ has done for us. Now, second thing is this. Does that mean everything will be easy? It's interesting this is the direction he goes after this. Uh, does that mean everything will be easy? And the answer is even the struggles lead us to increased hope. Even the struggles lead us to increased hope. So as you look at verse 3 and after, so he's just laid out, because of salvation by faith, because of justification by faith, we now have peace with God. And so there will be part of us to be like, all right, life's going to be super easy from here on out. But the reality is, you know as well as I do, even as a Christian, there's still struggles that we have. There's still difficulties that we have. So if I have peace with God, how does that play into the reality of the struggles of life? 
Look at verse 3 and following. He brings this up immediately because this is really important to understand in terms of what God is offering and what He's not offering. He's not offering you a life where once you become a Christian, you're never going to have a struggle again. But look at what He is offering. Let's read 3 through 5 and then I'll unpack it. Not only so, in speaking of, but we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have that great hope in our lives. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's a really weird phrase, but we'll come back to it in just a second. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. What does that mean? All right. So if you're here this morning and you say, I I want God to give me peace. And then after peace, I want my life to be a cakewalk going forward. Zero problems. Everything's easy. I I have nothing to offer you. I mean, I have nothing because the Bible doesn't speak to that. If on the other hand, if, if you get, here's what he's saying. So I receive, I have peace with God through what Jesus has done for me. And then as I go forward, my goal, this is really important, as I go forward, my goal, because I believe Jesus is the most amazing being ever, I believe He's incredible, and I want to be more like Him. So my goal going forward has to do with the glory of God and becoming more like Christ. I want want Him to, I want Him to, to just be throughout my whole, I want the sin to be gone, and I want as much of Jesus as I can get. If that's my goal, if Christ-likeness, after receiving peace with God and becoming enamored with Christ, if going forward, if peace, if Christ-likeness is your goal, then I have great news. Because look at what it says there. It says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. So he's saying, he's not saying, we're glad to suffer. It's great that we're suffering. What he's saying is, the idea of glorying in your sufferings is, all right, listen, I know I'm going to go through sufferings, but the good news is, God is going to bring something worthwhile out of it. How? Well, look at what he says. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So when we struggle, if you, you have to have perseverance to continue through that. If life isn't easy, you have to continue through that. Perseverance creates character. When you are somebody who perseveres through, you become somebody who is able to continue on. You, you're a person of character who does the right thing even when it's not easy. And that character produces a person of hope. You know that you've been through those times of struggle and you know that there is still hope there that God is going to continue to get you through because He's seen you through in the past. And hope does not put us to shame. So, when I receive Jesus into my life, if my goal is I want to become as much like Christ as I can, if my goal is having an easy life, then... I'm not going to get what I want. But if my goal is to become as much like Jesus as I can, as I go forward, as I go through struggles, and it begins to create in me perseverance, which creates character, which creates hope, all of those things make me more like who? Jesus. All those things make me more like Jesus. And so if my goal is to become as much like Jesus as I can in this life, even if I go through suffering, even if I go through struggles, that's not time where I have to say, man, that was a wasted year of my life. I went through struggles. But if my goal is to become like Christ, as I go through that, when I come out on the other side, I can say, that wasn't easy, I didn't enjoy it, but I am more like Jesus. Now, 
I hate to tell you guys this, and I think everybody would echo with this. I wish I could tell you, you become more like Jesus when everything's easy than when everything's hard, but that's not been true in my life. When have I become the most like Christ? When I've struggled. And when I trust God, and when He works in my life. And so the beauty of this, as you kind of add all that up, is as we go through the times of struggle in our lives, even if you go through struggle, God is still working, and you're still achieving your goal of becoming more like Christ. You still see those good things coming into your life. So we both have the peace of God. And even the worst that this life can throw at us, God still uses to achieve His goal in our lives. Everybody with me on that? Even the worst this life throws at us, God still uses to make us more like Christ. And so He's working in our lives to help us to be able to achieve that goal of becoming like Christ. Now, why is our hope on solid ground? As we go through all this, as, I'm going, as I have this peace with God and I'm going through all these struggles, how can I know God's not going to let me down? How can I know He's going to be there for me and continue to see me all the way through? How can I know that my hope is on solid ground? And the answer to this is all of this was of God's initiative revealing how much He loves us. All of this was of God's initiative revealing how much He loved us. Look at the second half of 5 and we're going to go down through 11. This is, this is such encouraging stuff. We just said hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we go back to that relationship that we have, when He gave me peace, He didn't just uh, give me a little bit of something. God poured out His love into my heart. God poured out His blessing into my heart. God poured out the Holy Spirit into my heart. He gave me that. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's an important thing. So, okay, I get that, Jim, but how can I know He's not going to leave me alone? How can I know He's not going to forsake me? How can I know He's not going to abandon me? Listen to what He says. This is awesome. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's pause for a second. Who's the ungodly? You and me. Very rarely, verse 7, will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Listen to this. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody say amen to that. So what's that mean? It means as I go all the way back here and I think about that moment of peace with God, I, God did not bring peace into my life. God did not make me right because I had done all these great things and I was a super person. And so Jesus loved me because I had been a wonderful person. What's it say going back to or looking in verse 8? While we were still sinners, I had done nothing to deserve what God wanted to do for me in that moment. I was still a sinner. I was still distant from God. And Jesus died for me even when I had done nothing to deserve it. Nothing. And so, if, if God loved me enough, we're going to go to the communion table in a little bit and talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for my sins when I had done nothing to deserve it. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for your sins when you had done nothing to deserve it. 
And if He loved me that much when I had done nothing to deserve it, now that I've said, I've seen what He has done and I've said, I love you so much for doing that for me, I want through faith to receive that into my life. Thank you, God. And I give Him the praise and I give Him my faith. If I, in the moment when I had done nothing, if He still loved me while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If He loved me that much when I hadn't received anything, think how much, going back to that verse we just read a moment ago, verse 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Now that I've received Him, now that I've said I appreciate you and I love you, what are the odds that God would look at somebody when He loved us that much before we'd done anything, once we've received that in, what are the odds that God's going to look at somebody now and go, you know what, I'm done with you, I'm going to abandon you? The odds are zero. The odds are zero. And so if I know that He died when I didn't deserve it, He died when I was a sinner, now that I'm going forward having received that in, I go forward with confidence to go to the point in the outline. All this was of God's initiative, revealing how much He loves us. I can look, I can, I know my salvation is on solid ground because it didn't start with how great I was. It didn't start with how much I loved God. It didn't start with all I had done. It started with how much God loved me. It started with what God had done. And it started with the love of God shown on the cross through Jesus Christ. All of that was of His initiative. Not only the reality that I don't have to worry about the negative of God abandoning me, and walking away because my salvation's on solid ground. But look at 9 through 11. Since we have now been justified by His blood, there's that word justified again, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he's, what he's saying there is, you know, listen, if you, if before you were worried about, well, what if he, what if he walks away from me? You don't have to worry about that anymore. And not only that, but now that that's happened, all these positive things are coming into your life in verses nine through 11, because now that you've received that in, He wants to pour even more into your life. And so as we think about that, we should have, we have absolute hope in what God is going to do in our lives and the fact that He's going to continue to be in our lives. It's all on solid ground because it all started with God before we did anything to deserve it. And so we can have absolute confidence that if He was the one that initiated it, He's the one that's going to continue. Now, let's talk, let's go a little broader for a second. Because now Paul goes to, um, what are the larger implications of this? Like we're talking about individual salvation, but he's going to talk about the world for a second. Uh, and I'm going to use the word cosmos because um, that the, the, the Greek word that is used here um, um, when it talks about world is the word cosmos. It's spelled differently in the Greek, but it's the word cosmos. So it's talking about What's the implication for the entire uh, for the entire world? All right. As we think about what Jesus has done, where does this salvation place the cosmos? And the answer is this: Jesus has undone the curse. Jesus has undone the curse. So we know that going back to 
uh, Genesis. We see Adam sins, and not only does he fall, but the entire world falls. We, we have death in the world, and we have disease in the world, and we have all these horrible tragedies, and we have conflict in the world. It all goes back to the reality of the fall of, uh, of mankind and, and what that brings into the whole world. Jesus here is not just coming in and saving us individually. Look at verse 12 and then verse 14. Therefore, there's another therefore. So having said all this, what Jesus has done for us, there's another implication. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, up down to 14. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, um, as Adam did, who is a pattern of sin to come. So what it's saying there is death came into the world through one person. Death and sin came into the world through Adam. But as you hop down to 15, but the gift, and the gift here is referring to what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done is not like the trespass. So the trespass was what Adam did in bringing sin into the world. What Jesus did is the gift. For the, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, many we all die because of Adam's sin, how much more did God's grace and gift, and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So some people get kind of confused. They're like, okay, why is it that like, that Jesus died, but we can all be we can all be impacted by that. Well, it's the reversal of what happened before. Adam sinned, and it wasn't just him, but it was the entire world and all humanity that was impacted by that. One man's sin impacted the whole world in a negative way. Jesus comes, one man's righteousness, one man's gift, one man's sacrifice doesn't just affect him it also bleeds out to the whole world. And so, it says here, uh, the gift of grace, it overflows to the many. Verse 16, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. That's what Adam did. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So if you... Jim, where do you get your confidence in, in the reality that there is life in Jesus Christ? Well, one, there's a bunch of ways. One way is, as you go back and look at Adam, Adam sinned and death came into the world. Is that a reality? You better believe it. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years now and I cannot tell you how many funerals I've done. I, you know, we all eventually reach the place where we're going to die. It is a universal reality that death has been brought into the world by Adam's sin. It's a reality that we can't avoid. We all face the reality of death. And just as certain as I am that all of us face death someday, unless Jesus comes back, just as confident as I am that death is a reality, I can be equally confident because one man did that and caused that to come about. What does that verse tell us? For if by the trespass of one man, that's Adam, death reigned through the death reigned um, through that one man. We all know that's true. We've all been to countless funerals. 
how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Just as confident as I am that I have seen funeral after funeral after funeral because of what Adam did, I am equally confident that I will see resurrection after resurrection after resurrection through what Jesus Christ did. And that's our hope. We look at what happened before, and we know we live in a fallen world. We know we live in a world of struggle. We know we live in a world of death. And just as confident as we are that that happened, because we believe in the resurrection of Christ, we talked about that last week, we have confidence that because Jesus bodily rose from the dead, because He was alive again, that He is going to bring what that last verse tells us. There's going to be overflowing life to all of us. Not just that I feel better about things, and not just that what makes me feel less guilty. I have, through Jesus Christ, think about this, I'm nobody. I am nobody. I've done nothing to deserve anybody. I've done nothing to deserve anything from God. And Jesus tells me, not only did He save me, but I get to go be with Him someday. And in the world that He is going to recreate someday with a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, I get to rule with Jesus. I get to be a part of what He is doing then. All that happened, I am as confident of that because of Jesus as I am confident in the reality of death today because of Adam. As we think of the two people there, we have our confidence that that what Jesus is doing is not only going to transform individual lives, but it's going to transform the world that we're in. We are someday going to live in a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem where sin is no longer a reality. Why? How? I mean, how are you going to bring that about? That's not my job. Jesus is going to make it happen. And so we have that hope through what He has done. That leads us to the last thing. Okay, but in all this, what if I'm lacking confidence? Because, Jim, my sin is so great and I've done so much to mess up. I want to hop down to 20 and 21. The last point this morning is this. But my sin is great. Even when I am fully aware of sinfulness, grace is greater. Grace is greater. Look at 20 and 21, and we'll finish up for the morning. Look at 20 and 21. The law, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, which speaks of the law, tells us about the reality of sin in our lives. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jim, my sin is great. Grace is greater. Jim, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but Jesus does. Grace is greater. You don't know how many things I've done wrong. Grace is greater. We believe this morning that the grace of Jesus Christ is greater than our sins. We believe this morning that the grace of Jesus Christ is greater than our sins. There was a a man named Walter McMillan several years ago, back in 1986, uh, in Alabama. He was accused of a crime, murder. Um, he, He said he was... Innocent, he even had witnesses that that said that that he was somewhere else. He got convicted and put on death row. Um, He gets put on death row and um, he's there for a while. Finally, a more competent lawyer came in and and took his case, was able to show how much 
wasn't the way it needed to be, and, and he was exonerated. That, that it was very clear that he, he was not that person that had committed that crime. And so he got out of jail. But during that time, between when he went in jail and when he got out of jail, he suffered, began to suffer from dementia. And so when this new lawyer who had gotten him, who had gotten him free, when he would go visit him in the nursing home that the man was now in, the man would keep saying, You gotta get me out of this jail. You gotta get me out of this jail. You gotta get me out of this jail. He'd been set free, but he still thought he was in prison. Um, a lot of us, there are a lot of people who understand these kind of truths, but then they don't live as though they've been set free. They still live as though they're in prison. And what this truth is telling us this morning is this. We have been set free through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning for the hope that we have in Jesus and for the confidence that we have of where we stand because of what He has done. Father, I pray this morning that we would rejoice, our hearts would overflow, in that confidence and in that reality of where You have placed us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.